0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you, Lord. I thank you for each person who's here, that every one of us is here by divine appointment, that nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. And this morning, as we look at the attributes of a healthy church, I pray, Lord, that each one of us would examine our own hearts to see where we are with you. And it's just even the questions that are asked of Peter, to who do do people say that you are? Then our own mind, our own heart, who do we say that you are, Lord? So, Lord, we love you. We praise you, Father. Again, be with the children's ministry this morning. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Last couple weeks we looked at the omnipotence of God, that our God is all powerful. You know, we saw His power over the demonic, we saw His power over sickness, we saw His power over death. But you know what's awesome is this morning we're going to move on and we're going to look at the ministry of Jesus and His apostles. And as we look at Jesus' ministry and we look at the ministry of His apostles, we are going to see attributes of a healthy church. Things that happen in the ministry of Jesus Christ that should still be happening in the church today. Amen? A lot of people think, oh, well, that passed away with the, with the Lord. No, it didn't. You know, as you look at the entire book of Acts, and we'll be there another year or so, when we get to the book of Acts, we're going to see real actively the work And of the first church, the first century church, how they carried out Jesus's ministry and as we should be doing today. So these are the things that we're going to see this morning as we look at attributes of a healthy church. First of all, a healthy church is sending people out. God calls people into ministry and every one of you in this building this morning if you're a Christian you've been called by God to be active in ministry it's not just the pastor or the worship leader or you know some people it's it's all of us we're all called we're all called to different ministries but we'll notice that Jesus called people he equipped people and then he sent them out and the church today we should be doing the very same thing second of all we'll see that a healthy church has an impact on the world around it you know the church is not this building It's not the walls that we come inside of and then we get here. Okay, I guess we gotta play church now. You know, church is each one of us. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And everywhere we go, we take the Lord with us. Amen? And we're gonna have an impact not just in this room, but in the place outside of this room. And so we're gonna see that a healthy church has an impact on the world around it, just as Jesus and His apostles did. We'll see that the, that a healthy church ministers to people's physical needs. You know, it's important that, and, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, money should never be an issue at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. If you want to go to the women's retreat, you want to go to the men's retreat, if you're struggling and you've missed out on work and you don't have food in your house, I know sometimes it's hard. You know, we're, we're praying constantly that we would know when you have a need, but if you have a need, please make it known because we want to minister to you. You know, I will never ask you for a dime. Anybody who's been coming to this church since we started, I've never asked anybody for any money because you know what? Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. Amen? And a a healthy church is ministering to the needs of people. Not seeking to get your money, but seeing how we might bless you and minister to you and love you. And we're going to see that this morning as Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then lastly, we'll see that a healthy church teaches the truth without compromise. Jesus openly proclaimed throughout His ministry the truth of who He is, the truth of why He came, and the truth about the cost of following Him completely. And we'll see that that should be happening in the church today. The church should be teaching people without compromise the truth of who Jesus is. Not watering it down so that we don't offend some, but teaching the truth without compromise. Teach the truth of why He came, to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. And the truth about following Christ what we must truly do to follow and serve Him. So those are things we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the the attributes of a healthy church. So let's begin in verse 1 of Luke chapter 9. And we're going to look first at the sending out of those who are called. So God, when when people are called by God, He sends them out. And a healthy church should be sending out. You know, my heart and my passion would be that as a church here, that... During the time we're here, that we'll have an opportunity to to plant other churches out of this church as we grow. To send people into the mission field. To send people down to Bible college. To help equip those who have a call and a heart to go out and do more for the kingdom of God. And that should be evident in a healthy church. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. Now notice that the first thing he did is he called the twelve together. Now the twelve had been called by God sometime earlier, back in chapter 6. He called them into ministry. Remember he said, drop your nets, come and follow me. And they dropped their nets and they came and followed the Lord. So they had been called by God earlier, but now he is sending them out. He's sending them out with a commission. He's sending them out. That's what apostle means. One sent out with a commission. And that's exactly what these men were. They were apostles sent out by God. And Jesus ministers to the twelve. He had taught them the Word. He had exemplified the Word for them. And now He's going to send them out to do the Word. As Christians, it's important that we not just be like the Dead Sea. Why is the Dead Sea dead? Let me tell you why. The Dead Sea only has an inlet and no outlet, and that's why everything in it dies. For for something to be alive, it must have an inlet and an outlet. And as Christians, we will be dead if all we ever do is eat and be fed and eat and be fed and eat. You know, we'll be the biggest, fattest sheep around, right? We're a big, fat sheep, right? We'll be these big, huge, fat, honking sheep, but we can't even get off our duff and go minister to people. We are called, the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Amen. So you know what you believe and why you believe it. So you can go to work tomorrow and go to school tomorrow, wherever you might be, and be able to share your faith because you've heard it from the Word of God. And Jesus had done that for the apostles. He had been an example for them. He had taught them the Word and He had exemplified the Word right before their very eyes. And so now He's going to send them out. But I want you to see a couple things about those He sends out. What does the Lord do when He sends somebody out? He gave them power and authority. Power. Note before that God sends sends someone out, He always equips them to do the work. God is the one who does it. God is the one who calls and God is the one who equips. And so often from the world's perspective, we want to vote on who we think is the most likely candidate instead of letting God be the one who calls the people out. And that's what the Lord did here. And He also gave them authority, the authority of His name. You know, when we go out and we minister to people, we minister in the name of Jesus Christ. And there is no other name on heaven or on earth through which men must be saved. Only through the name of Jesus Christ. He's the only way, He's the only truth, He's the only life. And so the Lord exemplified for them and gave them and clearly taught them, but now He's going to send them out. And I love that. And you know what? The same should be true of every one of us. A healthy church should be sending people out. It said Sent to, to gave them authority over demons and to cure diseases. It's interesting to me, He gave them authority over the spiritual and the physical. Over demons and demonic, spiritual things. And he gave them authority to cure de- diseases over the physical things. Now, I want to say this. That when we're called by God and we go out for the Lord, it will be a joy and not a drudgery. If you've been called by the Lord, it should never be a have-to. Oh, it's my turn in the children's ministry. Oh, man. you know, oh, you know, and That's not a calling. And if you're ever doing anything like that here, please just stop. Please, okay, for the sake of the kids or wherever else you're ministering to, stop. Because the reality is, I don't want anybody doing anything because you feel like you have to, or somebody drafted you, or you wanted to church that night, so they voted on your name, and now you're the one in charge of it. And we're not going to do that to you. I want people to have a love and a joy for the calling that God has placed upon their life, that it truly would be a get-to and never be a have-to. Amen? And the apostles, that was the Lord's heart for them. And He gave them authority, and He gave them power, and He sent them out. And I no doubt they went out with great joy. Now, does that mean that there wasn't some fear involved? There probably was. They'd always had the Lord right next to them. Now they're going out, and they're going out without the Lord. They're going out in the power of the Holy Spirit, but they're going out without the Lord. And the same is true with us. Sometimes when you step out for the Lord, even when you're called, it's a little scary. But that's okay. As long as you know that God's called you, and He will, he will be the one to equip you. And then He gave them power as they went out. Now, apostles' ability to heal was a special gift. Why did he give them that gift? So that everybody would know that their ministry was from God. You have to realize in those days that they taught a different gospel, in a sense. The Jews were waiting for a conquering Messiah. And Jesus was not a conquering Messiah, but He was a suffering Messiah who came to suffer and die. And as He sent these men out, He wanted people to know that they were truly from God. So He gave them the special gift of being able to heal people and to cast out demons. Now, I want to say this. Today, the standard to know that somebody is from God is that they line up with the Word of God. Amen? You know, in those days, they didn't have the New Testament yet. They were living out the New Testament. And we have the completed revelation... Again, I'll say it for the thousandth time. This is 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how's that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And so this is our standard right here. And we, we line everything up with the Word of God because you know what? Miracles alone does not prove it's from the Lord because Satan can do spectacular things. Amen? And if we just look at just the miracle and we just look at the, at the, you know, the emotion that's involved, we can be duped. But the Lord sent them out and He gave them this power to authenticate their ministry. And look what they did, verse 2. And He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now while He gave them the ability to heal, look at the main emphasis of their ministry. It was to preach the kingdom of God. And that should be the attribute of a healthy church. We should be sending people out and we should be preaching the kingdom of God. Not preaching the, the, the healing ministry of Dave. Amen? Not preaching the, you know, how to make a million bucks and get in the pyramid scheme, you know, you know, give, 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 seed giving, none of that stuff. We need to preach the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. And while He authenticated it, the main emphasis was on the Word. The Word preached there describes somebody who is a herald proclaiming the message from the King. Isn't that interesting? Proclaiming the message from the king. And that's exactly what we do when we share the gospel. We preach, we proclaim the message of the king. Now, as he sent them out, I want you to notice something unique here. Look how he sends them out. Look at verses 3 and 4. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart." So the Lord calls him into this ministry and he says, you know what, you've been hanging out with me, you've seen the the ministry that I do, you've seen the works that I do, I'm going to send you out, but I want you to go out and don't take anything with you. Man, you want to talk about that being scary, being scary, right? Go and go without anything. Don't take your money, don't take your bank account, don't don't go home and get any extra food supplies, I just want you to go. Now there's a couple things we see from this. One, it shows the faith that is required to be sold out for God. And that we need to trust in Him completely for our provision. And it also showed the urgency of the message. Don't go home and prepare. Just go out and be faithful. Now it's interesting again that to be used mightily by God, each one of us must be fully reliant upon God. If you want to be used by Him, you must be fully reliant upon Him. Because the Bible says without Him we can do nothing. And nothing means nothing. So you can't do anything without Him, amen? And so if you want to be used by God, you've got to be fully reliant upon God. Now remember that when these guys were called by the Lord, it's interesting to me. You never see anybody called by God negotiating a salary. You ever see that? You know, come and follow me. Well, what does this gig pay anyway? Is there a 401k involved here? I mean, you know, what kind of benefit? What kind of health program you got? You got Delta Dental or what? You know, I mean, you know, they don't negotiate a salary. The Lord says, "Come and follow me," and they say, "Yes, Lord," and they go. And you know what? That should be the heart of those of us who've been called by God. So often we think we need more to be used by God. We need more money, more education, more time, more gifts. But remember, where God guides, God provides. The only more we need is more faith. Amen? We need more faith to trust God and say, Lord, You've called me. You're Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. I know You're going to provide for me, Lord. I'm going to go. And you know what? God does awesome things through men and women like that. Says, now, look at some of the things He told them not to take. Don't take a staff. Now, this might not seem like a big deal. It was like a walking stick. But when you traveled... Through desert areas, you took that staff to protect you, one, from thieves, and two, from wild animals. And the Lord said, don't take a staff. Well, wait, wait a minute, so who's going to protect me? Lord said, I am. I'm going to protect you. He wanted me to go out, trusting fully in God, knowing that He would be the protector. Take no bag, which is to carry additional possessions. Take no bread... The Lord's saying, trust me for your physical provision. Take no money because God's going to provide for him, And don't take an extra tunic. An extra tunic is something they would use that if they had to sleep by the side of the road, they would use it like a blanket and they would cover up. And the Lord said, you know what, I'm going to be your covering. You just go out. Don't take a staff. Don't take a bag. Don't take anything. Just take me. And you know what? I'd rather have Jesus with me than all the other stuff in the world I'd rather have Jesus than 500 U-Hauls behind me pulling everything I could possibly imagine I needed. Amen? Because that's that's where the true wealth and riches comes from, being called by God, being used by God. So to be used by God in the highest, we must trust God to be our protection, our provision, and our shelter. And again, let me ask you a question. What are you trusting in? What's keeping you from doing more for the kingdom of God? Why aren't you doing more for His kingdom right now? Why aren't you sharing your faith more? Why aren't you involved in some kind of ministry to people? I'm not saying it has to be here, but why aren't you involved more? And typically it's because we think, well, I, I don't have enough money in my bank account to really have free at the time, or you know, I really need to devote more time to my job, or you know, I just don't have the physical abilities or you know, we make excuses. And the reality is that God has called every one of us into ministry, and we should all be doing something for the kingdom of God. Amen? When we stand before God, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. He's not going to ask me how big my house was or how much money I had in my 401k plan or anything else. That won't matter. But what I've done for the kingdom of God, that is the thing that will matter. What are we trusting in? What are we pursuing in life? Personal comfort, recognition, or to be in the center of God's will. So he sent them out and he said, I want you to trust me to be your provision. Verse 5. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out to that city, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. This was a familiar act that the Jews did when they would go into a Gentile land and they had a disdain for the Gentiles and when they would leave Gentile land they would stop as soon as they stepped into Jewish and they would shake all the dust from the Gentile land off their feet out of disgust for the Gentiles. And the Lord is telling these Jewish men as they went in to minister to Jewish people that if people rejected them that He was to shake the dust from their feet. They were to say that because they had rejected the Messiah that there was disgust from those who follow God because they were, they denied Jesus Christ as being savior and lord that they truly were an abomination in the eyes of God the disciples were, again would do this in a Jewish town the Jews would know exactly what it meant verse 6 so they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere Apostles went out in obedience to God's calling, and what did God call them to do to preach the gospel. The very same thing that Jesus did, they were doing. The thing they had seen Jesus doing, they're now doing themselves. The things that we see in God's word should be evident in our lives today. And what did they do? They preached the gospel. What does the gospel repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again, it's not the feel-good, warm, fuzzy gospel. Oh, we can't talk about sin. We can't talk about repentance because someone might get offended. Hey, the reality is we need to be offended because we are sinners. Amen? And we are in need of a Savior. And so the message was, go out and they went out and they preached the Gospel and they went out in obedience to the Lord. While they did indeed heal people, the main focus of their ministry was preaching the Gospel. So attribute number one of a healthy church is sending people out. Number two, Second attribute is that they impact, it impacts the world around it. A healthy church has an impact on people. You know what, what blesses me the most is I've had a chance to see three different either Calvary chapels or youth groups start with very little and watch them grow. And you know what happens? Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. People fall in love with the Lord and they become contagious. And that's impacting the world around us. Amen? If I had you guys raise your hand, 90% of the people that are here were invited by somebody probably. Probably somebody told you and invited you to come, and you came, and you've been coming ever since. And now you're inviting other people. And that's a sign of a healthy church. It impacts the world around it. And we'll see that that's evident in the life and the ministry of Jesus and His apostles. Look at verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said that John had risen from the dead. And by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen. Herod said, John I have beheaded. But who is this whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. The words and actions of Jesus Christ had impacted the land around him so much that it reached all the way to the palace, to where Herod, who was one of the tetriarchs, one of the people in charge of a fourth of the kingdom, one of these great leaders in the city, had heard about the name of Jesus Christ, and it had impacted his life, and he wanted to know more about him. Now, who is this Herod? His name is Herod Antipas. And he's the son of Herod the Great. Remember when Jesus was born? What did, it, what did Herod command be done to all the babies two years of age and younger? Who remembers? Kill them all. Why did Herod do that? Because he had a visit from the wise men. He knew a star had appeared in the sky. And he said, the king of the Jews, I'm the king of the Jews. You better kill all the babies. Well, this is his son, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was a, was a dog. Herod Antipas had married his brother's wife. And now... John the Baptist shows up, and John the Baptist was not a watered-down kind of gospel guy. John the Baptist walked up to Herod and said, You're an adulterer, and you're in sin, and you need to repent because you're with your brother's wife. You're an adulterer. And Herod, Herod didn't like that too much, and his wife liked it even less. And we know what ended up happening is they beheaded John the Baptist. Now, he hears about Jesus, and he hears about his apostles, and he says, now wait a minute, I thought I killed John the Baptist. I thought he was dead. I thought, you know, I had his head on a plate for my, for my uh, daughter. How is it that, that I'm still hearing this message? The reality is that though he had beheaded John the Baptist, he couldn't get John the Baptist's words out of his mind. You know why? Because the Word of God never returns void. The Gospel never returns void. And when you share your faith with somebody, they may walk away initially in disgust, but God's Word has still been planted there. It's still going to dig on their heart. And that's exactly what had happened. And Herod, when he heard about Jesus, he didn't know what to do. You know what? Nothing can pierce a man's heart more than the Word of God. Nothing. The hardest man, the hardest woman in the world, the Word of God can change and transform a life. And here's Herod, this hard man, but at the same time he's seeking out and he wants to talk to Jesus. So he sought to see Him. Jesus and His apostles had an impact on the world around him. So much so that it reached the palace. You know what? May we have an impact on Santa Cruz County. Amen? Or wherever you live. May we have an impact on the people around us. May we not be undercover Christians that go through life and don't don't have an impact on those that we come into contact with. Attribute number three, ministering to people's physical needs. Not only did our Lord minister to the spiritual needs of people, but He ministered to their physical needs as well. And this too should be an attribute of a healthy church. We should be looking to minister to others. The Bible says, pure and undefiled religion is to minister to the orphans and the widows. Please don't let me ever find out that any of you is going without. Now, I'm not going to buy you a new Mercedes, okay? That's not what we're going to do, all right? That's not what the church is about. I don't have one either, all right? And I don't want one, right? Here's the reality. But if you're going without, without food or, you know, your, your, your kids can't have health care or something's going on in your life, we are a family here, Amen? The Bible says, you know, the, the world tells us that blood is thicker than water, but I see in the Word of God that the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Amen? And this is a family. And when someone in your family is hurting, then we, you, you would turn to your family and say, Minister to me. And we praise the Lord that God has blessed us so that we can minister to you. So please don't go without. Please don't ever be hurting and not tell somebody. Because when we do that, it's only because of our own pride. Amen? We're more concerned, oh, well, I can't ask, and I'll be honest with you, it's a lot easier for me to give than it is to receive. How about you guys? Amen? Isn't it easier to give it away? Well, we want to minister to you. Well, Jesus is our example of that. He ministered both to the spiritual needs of people and to the physical needs of people. And the reality is not all the people that he ministered to physically accepted him spiritually. But let's take a look at verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done, and they took He took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So after this first missionary journey, they all went out together. When they came back, they were exhausted and tired, and so was the Lord. Even though He's 100% God, He was also 100% man. And just like any man, He would get hungry, and He would grow weary, and He would grow tired. And they came back, and they saw the Lord, and the Lord pulled them aside so they could rest together. Bethsaida means house of provision, and they went away just to be in that place of quiet stillness together to rest from the busyness of their time. Our Lord was constantly busy about His Father's work. For us to be effective in ministry, we need to be like Jesus is, because look what happens as He calls the apostles away, no doubt a special time. A time of him finally being able to rest and, and hear about what has happened with his sons in the faith, right? They went out on a mission field and it's like, oh, this is going to be great. You, tell me what happened, you guys. I want to hear it. And in the midst of that, what, look what happens, verse 11. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. So here the Lord is trying to get away with his guys and just have some quiet time away with them and to hear about the mission field and what's happened. And all of a sudden, all these people come showing up. It would be like if you were at your house and you had a few friends over and you're, you're excited about it, and all of a sudden a knocks at the door and there's 50 people outside wanting your attention. And you know what I love about the Lord? The Lord was never too busy to minister to anyone. He was never too busy. He was never too weary. He was never... Never. His heart was always for people. For us today, to be effective in ministering to others, we must have private time alone with the Master, which these men had. But then we must also, too, be prepared to... To pour out our lives on others. May we never be too busy. May we never be too weary. And you know what? I've said this, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. A, a shepherd never stops watching over the sheep. And our good, the ultimate shepherd is the Lord. Amen? He is the good shepherd. But God has given me the, the total blessing of being your pastor, which means servant. I'm here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. And you know what? My heart is that I want to be available to you guys 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And if you have a need at 2 a.m., call me at 2 a.m. Why? Because you know what? If you wake me up at 2 a.m., God knew you were going to call and He's going to give me the strength to deal with it anyway. Amen? I would hate to find out the next day that something happened and you felt like you couldn't call me. You know what? And it's the same with all the other pastors that are here. We're here to serve you guys, to minister to you guys. And you know what? That's the way the Lord was. When people showed up, he would, he, look what it says when they, when they followed Him. It says, and He received them. The word there also could be he welcomed them. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. So not only did he welcome them, but he ministered to them. Though he was weary, though his schedule was thick, though he had a lot going on. And you know what? It's easy for us as Christians to say, well, you know, I don't do more for God because my, my schedule is just pretty thick. You know, I'm working and, I'm, you know, and I, I've got kids and I've got this and I've got, you know, and by the end of the day, I'm tired. You know what? Has God called you to minister to others? The answer is yes. If God calls you to do it, He'll give you the strength to do it. Amen? And sometimes we just need to look at our own schedule. Maybe there's some things on there that need to go. How much time do we watch TV? I think if we got rid of that, we probably could minister to people quite a bit. So He welcomed them, and then He ministered to them. Verse 12, When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to Him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. So what happens is that the the apostles are still learning. The apostles look and they see a need among the people and they say, Hey, Lord, you know, we're tired. We've been out on the mission field. These people showed up. You taught them the word. You healed them all. I think that's about enough. It's getting to be a little late. Send them into town to get some food. Just get them out of here. Send them away. The apostles are still learning. And sometimes in ministry, we're still learning. And we see people coming and we're like, Oh, dude, man, come on, I'm tired. You know, go get a Big Mac somewhere else. You know, go talk to somebody else. Don't talk to me. And that's what the apostles are doing here. They're saying, send them away. Send them somewhere else. And you know, one of two things. They're either weary or they lack faith that God can do something. And it may have been a little bit of both. And they said, Lord, send them away. We want time alone with you. The apostles had gone out to seek people to minister to, right? Didn't they go out two by two and go into the surrounding cities and tell everybody about Jesus? And now people are coming to them and they don't want them to come. What's the deal? It's amazing to me. They're going out with hardship and they're going out seeking after Him and no doubt God had provided and they seen the mighty hand of the Lord and now people are showing up to, to, uh, to be ministered to and they're too busy. Send them away. Get them out of here. I once heard a man say, ministry would be wonderful if it weren't for the people. The reality is that people are the ministry. Amen? It, the people are the ministry. The ministry is not a position. It's not the studying. It's not the things we do. It's the people. And we, may we never, ever, ever lose sight of that. Verse 13. And He said to them, You give them something to eat. The Lord said, You've seen the need. Feed them. You know what? If you, and again, I'll never ask you or tell you to do anything. But if you ever come up to me and say, You know, Pastor Dave, I really see that there's a need for this in the church. I can already tell you what my answer is going to be. Oh, praise the Lord. So God must be giving you putting that burden on your heart. Did you know that a burden is the spawning ground of a calling? Amen? You know, when we see the need, it's because God quite often is calling us to be the ones to fill that need. Amen? Sometimes you walk around and you won't see something that's very evident, but somebody else will. You know, I've always had a burden for teenagers. That will never change. I love teenagers. And you know know that must be God, right? Amen? But I love teenagers. And I love hanging out with teenagers. My favorite week every year was going to high school camp and hanging out with 550 teenagers for a week. I know, you think I'm crazy, but no, it's a calling. And you know, I loved them, and it was amazing to me, because I would just see the needs, and it was so clear to me. Man, we need to get a Christian club started on campus, and we need to reach out to these kids. Hey, there's kids that don't have dads, and we need a fellowship, and we need to reach out to these kids, we need to minister to them. And other people were oblivious. Why? Because they're not called I am. And quite often, when you see the need, it's because you're called to fill it. And they saw the need, and they said, man, these guys are hungry, it's getting late. And the Lord said, you've seen the need, feed them. You're the one that saw that it was evident. You know, it's like you walk by and you know that there's someone in the body that's hurting, and you wait for someone else to go minister to them. Oh man, that guy's hurting. Oh man, I hope, I hope someone figures it out and goes and helps them. You know, if we see the need, maybe God's calling us to fill it. Amen? And again, don't do it begrudgingly. But just pray, Lord, I see this need. Do you want me to be involved? Is there something you want me to do? The Lord said, you see the need, you feed him. You give them something to eat. And they said... We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy for them, buy for all these people. And let me ask you a question. When Jesus sent them out two by two to minister, how much food did they have? The answer is no food. Now they got fish and, and bread. They had nothing before and God provided them. But here they come back and they're like, oh, well, he provided for, you know, this, the two of us. This is... 20,000 people 5,000 men and with women and children about 20,000 people I mean you know Lord I know you can provide for two but 20,000 and sometimes we're that way with God you know we pray for a headache but we don't want to pray about cancer we believe that God can heal the headache but will he heal the cancer these guys are oh well you know but we only have a little bit you know what When we come to the Lord and we want to be used mightily by God, we need to just give Him what we have and put it in His hands and watch Him do the work. They looked at their circumstances and they were overwhelmed. Oh, it's impossible. All we got is a kid's sack lunch. There's no way we can feed 20,000 people. And from a worldly perspective, they're right. There's no way. But when God gets involved, all things are possible. Amen? God can do anything. God could turn Santa Cruz County into the most godly county in the world. You guys are all laughing, I know. But yeah, I know, But he can, can't he? Can God do that? Yes, he can. This could be known as the Bible Belt ten years from now. If God, next week, if God wanted it to be. You know, people think of Santa Cruz now, they think, oh, Santa Cruz. I mean, I tell people on the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz, they go, oh, brother, I'm going to pray for you, man. Oh. God, the pastor, goes, Santa Cruz. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Woo. Isn't that like the satanic cat? Oh, bro, praying for you. I say, well, Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. So my prayer is that God would make it mean the name once again. Amen? That God would bring revival to Santa Cruz County, and he can. And these guys, you know, we can be overwhelmed and look at the obstacles and say, oh, man, forget it, man. This is the New Age capital, and there's just this satanic, and, oh, man, it's a mess. And we can say, forget it. Or we can look and say, our God's greater than that. Oh, all I got is a sack lunch. Put it in in Jesus' hands and watch what happens. Amen? The miracles happen in His hands, not ours. We need to get out of our hands and say, Lord, here, You do it. Lord, here, I'm here to help. You do it. You're God. I trust You. I believe that You can do all things. You're an awesome God. And so we see here, look at verse 14. For There were about 5,000 men. So A lot of commentators think that's about 20,000 people because they have women and children. Then He said to His disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. So having told, now it's interesting to me that what do they say to Jesus? They don't ask Jesus, they tell Him. Earlier in the, earlier in the verse, they said to Him, well, we can't. Send these people away. Lord, here, we're, we're the apostles, we're the apostles, we've just gone back from the missionary journey, we're, we know what we're doing. Send these people away. You know what, whenever you tell God something, you're wrong. Amen? God doesn't need my help. God doesn't need my instruction. He's not waiting up there. What should I do? I'm trying to figure out... Hey, Lord, it's Dave. Let me help you out. Let me tell you what you need to do. God doesn't need me to be instructing Him. Amen? I need Him to be instructed in me. And they said, send them away. But now here we see the Lord instructing them. And praise the Lord for their obedience. The Lord said, sit them down in 50s. Okay, Lord. And they set them all down. They respond in obedience and they have them sit. Even though, again, they've been blown away in the past. And even though they had blown it, By commanding God to do things, it's never too late for God to use them. Verse 16. Then He took the loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, He blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So He took the bread and He broke it in His hands. We're going to take communion in just a few minutes. And when we do, He said, Take eat, this is My body which is broken for you. And the Lord takes the bread and He breaks it. A picture of what He was going to do for us on the cross. And He gave thanks for the bread, and in His hands a miracle took place. It went from being a lunch for a little boy to provision for 20,000 people. Where did the miracle happen? It happened in the hands of the Lord. Not in the intellect of men, but in the hands of Almighty God. Verse 17, So they all ate and were filled, and twelve baskets of leftover fragments were taken up from them. So what's interesting to me, not only did they feed... All 20,000 people, but when they were done, there were 12 baskets of of, uh, fragments left over. Who do you think those 12 baskets were for? The apostles. Hey guys, not only can I provide, but I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. I'm going to provide for 20,000, and then I'm going to have a basket full left over for each one of you. You know what? That's what our God can do. Amen? He can take what seems like nothing to us, but if we take it and we'll allow it to be put into His hands... And we'll let Him do the work, God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So attribute number three of a healthy church is ministering to people's physical needs. Jesus saw them, He preached to them, He healed them, and He fed them. And again, I want to say that not all of them accepted the Lord. Sometimes people get overwhelmed because people will come in, and, and a lot of times look, people, people look at churches as a soft touch. Oh, it's a church. Oh, we'll just go in there and we'll... we'll give them a sad song and we'll get some money, you know? And you know what? I'll be honest with you. We've been touched up by people. We have. And you know what? I'll do it again. You know why? Because it's God's money. And I don't don't give money to people to help them prop up their sin, but if anybody ever comes to me and says they're hungry, I'm going to buy them food every single time. If they spend all their money doing drugs, I'm still going to buy them food. Amen? Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. And you know what? A lot of times, and you know what to me? It's an opportunity for the gospel. It's an opportunity to love people. It's an opportunity to minister to them from the physical so that we might have an opportunity to minister to them from a spiritual perspective. And that's exactly what Jesus did, and that's exactly what He wants us to do. Now, lastly, in closing, attribute number four of a healthy church is teaching the truth of God's Word without compromise. Teaching the truth first about who Jesus is. Look at verse 18. It says, and it happened as he was alone praying, the disciples joined him and he asked them saying, who do the crowds say that I am? So here we see Jesus alone praying. He's the son of the living God and he spent time alone praying. Let me ask you as Christians, should we spend time alone praying? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people are struggling and people will come to me for counsel and I, I love to counsel if I can. I don't have the answers, I just know where they are. They're in the book, right? I got the, I got the teacher's edition right here. Right? Got all the answers in the back. I mean, this is the book, and this is where the answers are. And when people come and say, oh, here's the answers. But one of the first questions I always ask people is, have you prayed about it? Well, no, not really. Oh, okay. If you sought it out in the Word? Not, no, not, not really. And you were hoping to get an answer from where? Right? The Word of God has all the answers. Amen? And God wants us to come to Him in prayer and to seek His face. And when we do, God does awesome things. You know what? Every mighty man of God a woman of God used by God who, who they talk to toward the end of their life, they always ask them, if you could do anything different, what would you do? And their answer is always the same. Pray more. And we need to pray more. And the people that use, God used mightily in the Word were all people who prayed. We need to pray more. So here's Jesus alone praying. He prayed the night before He chose the apostles. Now He prays right before He asked them for a personal confession of faith. Praying possibly that their hearts would be softened. Praying that it would be revealed to them who He really was. We too should be praying for softened hearts. We should be praying for a move of the Holy Spirit on the people that we're going to have a chance to share our faith with. He says to them, who does the crowd say that I am? Who do the common everyday people? Who do they say that I am? Verse 19. So they answered and said, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say one of the old prophets that has risen again. So the answers were were varying. Some people thought he was John the Baptist, some Elijah. And while they knew that there was something special about Jesus, they didn't truly understand who he was. For him to be John the Baptist, he'd have to have been raised from the dead. For him to be Elijah, he'd have to be raised from the dead. For him to be an Old Testament prophet, he would have to have been raised from the dead. So they knew that there was something special about this Jesus, but they didn't quite understand who he really was. Now, I find that interesting Because I believe that virtually all of the world believes there's something special about Jesus. The New Age movement believes that he's the most enlightened of all the gurus. Oh, Jesus' aura, man, would have been just rad. Right? Oh, the aura. Ooh, it had been the whitest glow. Oh, yeah, Jesus. He was elevated guru. Uh, No, that's not quite it. Um, The Muslims. Oh, he's one of the prophets. Jesus. Yeah, he's he's not quite up there with Muhammad, but he's one of the prophets. Uh, The Jehovah's Witnesses say he's Michael the Archangel. They know there's something special about him. He's Michael the Archangel. That's pretty special. The Mormons say that he's the Savior of this planet, but he's only one of many gods, and there'll be gods one day too. The world at large says he was a good man who lived a long time ago. Again, most of it, and not all, agree that there is something special about Jesus. But you know what? Just believing that there's something special about Jesus is not enough. Amen? Amen? It's not enough. Oh yeah, I, I believe that he's oh yeah, he's the most wonderful man who ever lived. He's a lot more than that. And these people came back and said, Oh, he's John the Baptist, or he's Elijah, or he's one of the Old Testament prophets raised from the dead. That's not good enough. The reality is that they still missed him. Truth is truth. It's not up for debate. It's not based on the, the voting of men. The Lord didn't say, Have all these common people come in and let's vote and figure out who I am. Right? Who thinks that I'm Michael the Archangel? Everybody raise your hand. No, oh, okay. Who thinks that I? You know, and you know the reality is that there are these Jesus seminars. Some of you probably never heard of it, but the Jesus seminar—they vote on who they think Jesus is. Like voting's going to change something. What do you think? Oh, get a white bead and a black bead. If you think it's okay, well, drop your bead. You think, and they're changing the Bible based on the voting of men. Well, here's the reality, you guys. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's God, and He's nothing less than God. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. There's no other path through which we can get to heaven than through Him. Amen? And if He's anything less than that to you, you do not know the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And look, He says to them in verse 20, And He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. Who do you say that I am? That's the same question He's asking everyone in this room this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is He? Is He somebody you know about? Is He a historical figure from long ago? Or is He your best friend? Is He your Lord and your Savior and your King? Who is He? And that's exactly the question He asked Peter. He didn't say, what do other people say? What do other people think? What does your pastor think? He said, who do you say that I am? In Matthew's account... He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is more than just someone special. He's he's not the most enlightened guru, one of the prophets, Michael the archangel, one of many gods, a God, a good man who lived a long time ago. He is the Christ. He's our Messiah. He's our Savior. He's the Son of the living God. He's God made manifest in the flesh. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the great I Am. He's the Lamb of God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Let me ask you a question. Who do you say that Jesus is? You might be here this morning and you were brought by a friend and you're like, well, I haven't really thought about it. Well, you know what? You need to. Amen? The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we'll either confess Him now or we'll confess Him in eternity as we're being judged and separated from Him forever. The reality is that we all must address that question, who do you say that Jesus is? A healthy church boldly proclaims the truth of who Jesus is. Amen? Don't compromise it. Don't water it down. Don't try to make it fit in. with the with, you know. Let's talk about it from an ecological point of view. We're in Santa Cruz. You know, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to preach the truth of Jesus Christ and never, ever dial it down. Teaching the truth of why He came. We're almost done. And He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. Saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. So, why did Jesus come? He came to suffer and die. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who would come and conquer Rome, but Jesus came to suffer and die in our place that we might have eternal life. The sign of a healthy church is a church that teaches the truth about why Jesus came. And then, lastly, the truth about what it costs to follow him completely. Look at verse 23. Then He said to them, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. Jesus tells His disciples, The key to living is not finding yourself. I've got to go find myself. Find yourself. That was a big thing, I don't know, 20 years ago. I've got to go find myself. Now it's esteem self. No, the Lord didn't say find yourself. He didn't say esteem self. He didn't say pamper yourself. He said die to self. Amen? Amen. Deny self. The Bible very clearly tells us that the Spirit and the flesh are at war with one another. And if we're fulfilling the lust of the flesh, we'll be denying the Spirit. And if we're fulfilling the desire of the Spirit, we will deny the flesh. The world says, esteem your flesh. Exalt your flesh. The Lord says, put that thing to death. Kill it. You know what? Self-esteem, that's a joke. We have way too much self-esteem already. Amen? Amen? We esteem ourselves way too stinking much. Oh, man, we've got we to build up people's self-esteem. Stop it. My kids got way too much self-esteem. I'm trying to swat the self-esteem right out of them. You know what I mean? They're always, oh, my, my, they're selfish, oh, that's me, and it's all about them. Their whole focus in life is, how does this affect me? And to prove that we all struggle with this still, right, that we're all still pretty vain and arrogant, let me just ask you a question. You don't answer but just think about it in your mind. If I took a snapshot right now of this room, and I developed it and I handed the picture out, Whose photo would you look for first? Who would you look for first? And you know what? You would determine whether it was a good photo or a bad photo depending on how you look, right? If you look good, you're like, oh, that's a good oh, that's a good picture. That's nice. Nah, I like that. Everybody else could be uh, you know, but oh, I'm looking good. Everybody else could be groomed and looking sweet, and you got you know your finger in your nose or something, and you're like, oh that oh, that's weak. Why? Because we esteem self way too stinking much, right? Worried about how we look, how we appear before men. And the Lord said, No, don't esteem self, deny self. Die to self. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To deny self means to put the flesh to death, to take up the cross means to follow him in obedience. To die to my will and to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you every single day of my life. I die to my desire. I die to my plan. I die to my will. I give it all to you. Verse 24. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If this life is what's most important to you, you will do anything you can to protect it. talked about this on Wednesday. People spend their wealth or spend their health to obtain wealth. Then they spend their wealth to get their health back. People spend the first half of their life burning themselves out to attain wealth, and the second half of their life using their wealth to try to get their health back. That's the reality. And the reality is, if this is the most important thing in the world to you, this life, then you're going to do everything you can to protect it. Your number one concern will be your own personal health, safety, and comfort. By contrast, if Jesus Christ is your number one concern, the comforts and pursuits of this life will be of very little value to you. Whoever loses this life for my sake will save it. Again, we all trade our lives for something. What are you trading your life for? What are you using this time for? You only have, you know, it's, all, it's been said many times before that you go down to the, to the graveyard and you see a date and then you see a dash and you see another date, right? On tombstones. You see the date, the year someone was born, you see the year someone was dying and all you got in the middle is a little one inch dash. And you know what we're living for right now is that one inch, we're just cramming stuff. In, what are we putting in there? What are we spending that time for? What is it that we're making valuable to us? And the Lord's telling us that if we will lose our life for His sake, we will save it. If we give up the, the temporal, we will gain the eternal. Verse 25 and 26, last verse. What does it profit to a man if he gains the whole world and his himself is destroyed or lost? I've told this story before. Elvis Presley, one of the most famous men probably who ever lived. Very famous. Everybody It would be hard to find an American even now that doesn't know who Elvis Presley was. But you know what? Elvis Presley said not long before he died that he give up all his money, all his fame, all the women, everything he had for 30 minutes of peace. You know why? Because you will never find peace in the things that the world has to offer. Peace can only come from a relationship with a loving God who loved you so much he died for you. What is a prophet of man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed. And when he comes in his glory and in his, fathers, in his fathers and of the holy angels. Those who are ashamed of God here, he will be ashamed of them on judgment day. Those who are bold for the kingdom of God here, he will boldly proclaim you as one of his children on judgment day. Boldly and openly identifying ourselves with Him. That is a sign of a healthy church. We boldly identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Are you ever ashamed of Jesus? Are you ever ashamed of His Word? Let me ask you another question. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? If you were put on trial for being a Christian and they went around and got all your neighbors to come and testify, would they have enough evidence to convict you? Where they go, oh no, just like everybody else in the neighborhood. No different. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there was anybody that the Apostle Paul knew that didn't know where he stood with the Lord? Do you think there's anybody that he even ran into anywhere that didn't know where Paul was coming from? You know, I believe as Christians that people know us for five minutes. They ought to know where we stand with Jesus Christ. Amen? If they're behind us in line at the grocery store... We should be glowing in the dark for Jesus Christ, amen? We should have the joy of the Lord. We should be looking for those divine appointments. We should have such a love for God that people go, Whoa, dude, what's up with you? Oh, well, it's Jesus, amen? What's up? Jesus. What's it all about? Jesus. He's the answer to every single thing. As Christians, our love for God and His Word ought to be made clearly manifest in our words and in our actions. Jesus endured shame of the cross for us. We're going to take communion right now. May we not allow the fear of men to keep us from boldly proclaiming our love for Him. So if the worship team will come up. In conclusion, here's what we looked at this morning. Here are the attributes of a healthy church. Number one, a healthy church is sending people out. It's not stagnant. It's not all in, it's going out. And they're sending people out in ministry. Number two, a healthy church impacts the world around it. It's contagious. It touches those that it comes into contact with. A healthy church ministers to people's physical needs and that should be our heart to reach out and touch people and minister them from a physical point of view and then lastly it teaches the truth without compromise the truth of who jesus is the son of the living god the truth of why he came to suffer and die that we might have eternal life and the truth about the cost of following him that if we really want to follow the lord we cannot be followers of this world we can follow one or the other you can only have one master amen it's got to be god or the world and it can't be both and too often as christians You know, we're getting getting hernias trying to put one foot in the world and one foot in in the kingdom. Amen? And the Lord says, you know what? Quit playing with the world. Be sold out for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You, Lord, and we love You so very much. And Lord, now as we go to this time of communion, I just pray that each person here would examine their own hearts. Mine, Mine as well, Lord. Examine our hearts. And if there's areas, Father God, where we've held back from You, Father God, may we learn to Deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow you. We thank you, Lord, that you suffered and died that we might have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for that work on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Right before we take communion, just real quick, the way we do communion.